Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the church building on Hill Road. We have small groups that meet throughout the week, and you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Uh, <clears throat> additionally, we are still taking donations for the Toy and Joy program, so toys for boys and girls um, up to about uh, seventh grade. Uh, we're taking uh, donations for that program, helping underserved, underprivileged kids in our community. We're also taking non-perishable food donations for the Wichita Family Center. Uh, finally, next Sunday is Christmas Sunday. And so we will have our Christmas Sunday service. Uh, it's a family service. It's a fun service. Christmas songs, shortest sermon of the year. Um, and we get together and we have a good Christmas celebration. And then that night, Christmas Sunday night, December 19th, at 6 p.m., we will have our carol service. So you come, you, we're going to sing some Christmas carols, we'll take communion together, uh, we'll, we'll light the candles and turn the lights down and just enjoy the Christmas lights. You can see the trees are up here with me. Uh, the whole church is decorated. So that is a, a great service. We didn't have it last year because of COVID, so we're excited to have it back in 2021. And then Christmas Eve, we don't do a Christmas Eve service. And the reason is because we want to leave that free for family. And so we do a Christmas Sunday service, a Christmas carol service, and we do a Christmas Eve podcast. And so what that is, is we hear from people in our church. There's some Christmas carols. It's, it's just a nice uh, thing that you can tune into Christmas Eve or uh, anytime after. And all of our online stuff is available, audio versions on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and video versions are on our Facebook. You just have to search Faith on Hill on all of those. You don't actually have to have a Facebook uh, to listen to them. Um, we also have our website, faithonhill.com, for the live streams, and you can always find the audio versions on there as well. So we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew, going through the Christmas story. Uh, today we're going to talk about the visit of the three wise men and why we give gifts and a lot more important stuff besides that. So turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Well, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and found out from them exactly what time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard uh, the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is God's word. And as we get into chapter two of the Gospel of Matthew this morning, we want to ask the question, what do you do with a king? What do you do with a king? And we're going to look at three people or groups of people and how they responded to the news that a king had been born in Israel. Now, this likely, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but this likely did not happen right when Jesus was born. The the visiting of the, the Magi or the three wise men is always linked to Christmas. But from what we can tell reading from the Gospel of Matthew, it was likely after. It says in verse 1, after Jesus was born during the time of King Herod, then these guys show up. So Jesus is already born. In fact, he might have been as old as two years old. And we know that actually from the part of uh, chapter two that we'll study after Christmas. But he, he was at maybe up to two years old. Yet, if you were to, you know, I can look back right now and I can see the nativity set set up in the back of the church and the wise men are there. And there's three of them, but it doesn't say there are three. So what's going on? I read one Bible commentator this week who said, no story in the Bible is so well known and yet so shrouded in mystery and myth. There are so many things concerning these magi that are just unknown or they are shrouded in myths and legends that were developed later. And so we don't know, is that an oral tradition that came up through the church but wasn't written down? Or is that a myth that was developed later on? We just don't know. They're always called, there's always three, they, they have traditional names, but we have no idea whether any of that's true. What we do know is that Matthew describes them as magos, what we have translated as magi or magi. And these magos, it's, it basically means magician. But words can mean different things to different people. You could, uh, you know, when I was, uh, I mean, I still do music on Sunday mornings, but when, when that was like my main job in a church was being the music guy, I found out really quickly that in band practice, you could be playing with the church band and you could say, hey, this song, we're going to have it just be really rocking. And everybody hears that and goes, oh, okay. And the drummer, he hears, hey, it's going to be really rocking. And he thinks, oh, like Led Zeppelin. And the bass player, he thinks, oh, it's going to be really rocking. Oh, okay, like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Justin Bieber. And the singer hears, oh, it's going to be really rocking. And she goes, oh, okay, yeah, like that Amy Grant record. Like, it just means different things to different people. So the same is true with this word magician. We hear that and we think of somebody who does, you know, cheap tricks at a kid's birthday party, or maybe you think of Penn and Teller or David Blaine or something like that, or maybe you think of Joe Bluth. I, I don't know. But whatever you're thinking of with magician, that's what it means to us. But in their time and in their place, if you were to say somebody who's a magician, or it's sometimes translated astrologer, that is somebody who, yes, dealt with 
spiritualism, astrology, all of those things, but they will also be very learned in history, in the sciences of the day, in mathematics, in grammar. They would have had all kinds of education. In fact, Daniel, you remember a year ago, we studied the book of Daniel. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would have been considered magi, magicians, because they were learned men, high advisors to the king. Now, you might know this, you might not, but what we call a hurricane in other parts of the world is called a typhoon or a cyclone. It just depends on where. Northern hemisphere, hurricane. Southern hemisphere, typhoon. Around the Philippines, cyclone. It just, it just depends on where you are at as to what it's called. But it's the same thing. So they didn't just use the word magi for anyone. It was directly in, in indicating somebody from the east. Uh, if you were um, one of the, the high advisors to a king in North Africa or in, in Mediterranean Europe or so, so on, you would have had similar uh, job descriptions, skill sets, all of that. But the word magi denoted somebody from the east. So that's where we get this idea of them coming from what we would think of now as Persia or Iraq or Iran, ancient Babylon, that idea. They came because they saw a star, a new star rise in the sky. And that to them meant that a king had been born in Israel. Now, there's all this debate there's all this debate about, um, you know, what the star was, you know, we're actually going to talk a little bit about that on Christmas Sunday. So I'll, I'll save some of that for then, but I'll just say this. Was it a comet? Was it some, uh, some solar alignment? There's all these theories about what it is. I don't know. But whatever, they, whatever it was meant something to them. Now, why did it mean something to them? Again, we can only speculate. But remember I said that Daniel and the other uh, Jewish young men that had been taken captive would have been considered magi? I personally believe, and there, there is, this is only speculation, but I personally believe that the influence of Daniel and others like him was still being felt in those halls of power in the ancient Near East. And they were not Christians, they were, not, uh, they were not followers of Yahweh in the old covenant sense. They were not uh, what we would think of as believers. But they were spiritual people. They were learned people. And they saw something that meant something to them and they responded. They came because of what they knew, not because of what they didn't know. Remember, the big question today is what do you do with a king? That's the question that everyone's dealing with. These magi come to Jerusalem and say, a king has been born in Israel. What do you do? When they saw this star, whatever it was, and we'll talk more about that next week, but whatever it was, they see this star and they respond. Maybe if you are a Christian, you can think back to when you first placed your faith in Jesus. And think about how much then you did not know about the Christian faith. How much then you did not know about 
Jesus, how much then you did not know about doctrine or theology, the Holy Spirit, about God the Father. I placed my faith in Jesus at a young age. I was four years old, and a kids' church teacher at the church I grew up in talked about how much God loved us and about the sin problem that all of us had, that we do the things we're not supposed to do, that we rebel against God, we rebel against others. You know, for a four-year-old, it's rebelling against your parents. That's a big one. And, but God loved us so much that he made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And that if I believed in Jesus, who was God in human flesh, and if I believed that Jesus' death and resurrection paid the price, the penalty that my sins deserve, that I would go to heaven. And in simplicity of faith, I asked to pray so that I could believe in Jesus because I wanted what this kids' church teacher was telling me about. I wanted God. What do you do when you come face to face with the king? And you may not know everything. These were some of the most learned people in the world at the time, and they knew relatively little. They just knew that the star had risen indicating the king was born. They didn't know where. They went to the wrong place. I mean, when you think about it, if you're one of those like smartest dudes in the world, this is basically like in their point of view, in their way of thinking, to go to Jerusalem and then to have to have the scribes of a conquered country come and tell you the information you don't have would be like a professor at Harvard or Princeton or Yale having to, to come here and no offense to any teachers, but imagine somebody from Harvard or Princeton or Yale and then they come to Portland Community College and say, we need you to tell us the answers to these deep scholarly questions we're asking. Again, no offense to anybody teaching community college. Um, but they knew what they knew, and that's what they responded to. It's not that they knew everything. It's that they said, this is what I know, and I'm going to respond. So let me say this. Maybe you are not a believer in Jesus, and you're watching this or listening to this. Maybe you don't know if you're a true believer in Jesus. You say, I, I, I want God, but I don't know if I have saving faith. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I'd like to follow God, but I don't know if I know enough. Look at the response of these men and say they responded because of what they knew, not because they knew everything. Now, does that mean that we stay ignorant? No. I was four years old. I'm going to be 40 in a couple months. So in the last 36 years, give or take, I've learned a lot more. I've learned a lot more and I've grown in my knowledge of God and my knowledge of scripture and my knowledge of Christian doctrine and theology and my belief is deeper. So I'm not saying to stay ignorant, but what I'm saying is when you know you got a good thing, you get going. I didn't know everything about my wife when I married her. You know, we've been, we've been dating for, uh, we're, we're coming up on almost, almost 12 years. Uh, married uh, 11 years next spring. I'm still learning things about her. And I'm still learning things uh, about her history and all of this stuff. She's still learning things about me. But I knew I had a good thing. I knew I needed to put a ring on it. So they came because of what they knew, not because they knew everything. But in coming, they brought what they had. 
says they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we'll actually talk about more on how important that was uh, in January uh, after Christmas. But they brought what they had. What do you have to bring in response to a king? I can bring my repentance. I can bring my faith. I can bring humility to say, God, I don't have all the answers, but I, I want to believe. Can you help my unbelief? God, I, I don't have all the answers, but I know that Jesus is real. Can you help me to know the rest? What do you have to bring? This is where we get the tradition of bringing gifts. The idea of giving a gift to one another at Christmas time really does come from these magi, bringing gifts for Jesus at his birth. I don't have everything, but I can bring what I have. There's a king who has claimed this world by his blood, that he shed his own blood, not only to forgive our sins, but to have the right to redeem this whole world. And I, we don't have time to get into this, but you can read Revelations 4 and 5, which deal with Jesus reclaiming the earth. He came and he, he bought everything back. And we too can bring what we have, our time, our talents, our resources, as little as they are, and say, Jesus, this is what I have. Do with it what you will. Well, I'm not a religious person, you might say. Well, it's interesting because the religious people are here too. When the king hears that there's a supposedly a, a new king having been born, he calls his scribes and the chief priests and brings these religious leaders and religious experts together. And he says, hey, what's going on? And they had the answers. They looked into the what we would call the Old Testament. They looked into the Hebrew scriptures. They said, hey, the, the prophets say that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. But what did the religious people do? They stayed in Jerusalem. If the Messiah, the, the promised deliverer, the literal fulfillment of prophecy, and you have studied your whole life, you have memorized the writings of these prophets, this has been what you have devoted your life's work to. And you are told that he could be just a, a few hours walk a short journey relative to the time in Bethlehem. What do you do? Um, imagine that you're an anthropologist and you have spent all of your life studying an ancient civilization and then you find out that somewhere in some remote corner of the world is a place where that civilization has existed untouched. And you can go and you can observe a village still living as, as if they were living 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago. What would you do? You'd go explore. The religious people had the answers and yet they stayed put. 
we're not talking about being a religious person, somebody who is just very learned in spiritual matters, somebody who is very observant of spiritual things, somebody who is doing what they can to be right before God as they see it. Because these guys had all the answers and they stayed put. Jerusalem, it says in verse 3 that Jerusalem was stirred up with the king. That, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar at the news that this king had been born. And, and when that, the implication there is they went to the prophecies about the Messiah to get the answer of Bethlehem. So the implication is all Jerusalem is stirred up about this Messiah talk. They were stirred up, but they were not moved to action. You can be very, very religious. And then the question of what do you do with this king, Jesus, comes into your life and you do nothing. And a lot of religious people do that. And I'm not even ripping on other religions. I'm not talking about Islam or uh, Hinduism or Buddhism. I'm talking about Christian religion. Those who have religion in the form of Christianity, they have the form of it, but they don't have the actual power of God. They have the correct Bible answers, but they don't have saving faith. What do you do with the king? The Magi had active response to what they knew. The religious had an apathetic response. They had just sat there. They didn't do anything. And then there's the king. And the king's response was not apathetic, but it was terrible. It says in verse 3 that when he heard this, he was disturbed. Why was he disturbed? Well, if you're the king and you find out that a king has been born, but you have not just had a child, that's disturbing news. Uh, who is a threat to you? That's why throughout history you hear about uh, somebody comes to power and then they kill all of their immediate family. Why? Well, because let's say that you're a king and then you find out that your brother who is dead had a son. Well, that son, and you don't have a son, that son would then have a claim to the throne if you died. So what happens? Oh, somebody kills the king, and now this, this 12-year-old that nobody knew about gets to be the king. That's a threat to your power. That's a threat to his order. It's interesting. I was reading this week that a lot of historians view Herod as the most successful king under the Roman occupation. Under, the Roman, uh, under King Herod with the Roman occupation, uh, King Herod built things. Uh, he built up the temple in Jerusalem. He built cities. He increased infrastructure. Uh, there were always rebellious uh, political elements in Jerusalem or in Israel, but he kept them relatively at bay. So the Romans were happy. And then he, that means the Romans stayed off the people's backs. So the people were generally at peace. The Romans were there and they hated them, but they weren't as oppressive as they were at other times in Israel's occupied history. So he's got this nice order set up with him at top and Jesus is threatening that. That happens to every person. You could be the most successful. You could have set up a nice quiet corner and you say, it's not much, but it's mine. You could have your life in just the way you want it. And then Jesus comes in and says, follow me. And it messes up everything. This happened for all of the disciples, by the way. You know, 
James and John and Peter and Andrew, they're just fishing, right? They're up on the Sea of Galilee. They're just working class, blue collar guys. They're fishing for a living. And Jesus comes and says, follow me. And they leave the family business. They leave everything that they have worked and built and that their family over generations has built up. And they leave all of that and they follow Jesus. Jesus comes to Matthew, who wrote this gospel. And he says, follow me. And Matthew was a man of money, but he was also a man of great sin. And Matthew left his money and he left his sin behind. I mean, there's a lot of implications to what Matthew's life would have been like. But Matthew was a man, not only who was a man who was a traitor to his people, but he would have been somebody who uh, would have had no problems with substance abuse, with sexual immorality, all of these things. And Matthew left it behind. Jesus messed up the order of their world. He messed up the order of these average working class guys. He messed up the order of these guys who was a sinner. He went to a guy named Simon the Zealot. And Simon the Zealot was a, a, a we would call him like a extremist political activist, whether he was far right or far left. We, we, we know we've got both types around. That's Simon the Zealot. And Jesus said, just come and follow me. Leave that behind. Stop worrying about the kingdom of this world and come and follow the kingdom of heaven. And then there's the Apostle Paul who was on his way to the city of Damascus to imprison Christians. He had already imprisoned and murdered Christians in the city of Jerusalem. And now he's going to the city of Damascus to do the same. And he's, Jesus divinely, miraculously appears to him on the road and interrupts his order. And all of those people turned away from their kingdom, their throne, their order, and said, Jesus, you're in charge. But King Herod, he's disturbed because his order's messed up. So he was disturbed by this threat to his order. And then he's dishonest about his intentions towards Jesus. He says in verse seven that he called the Magi secretly because what happens is they appear publicly in the king's court. And it's not like the whole public can be there, but there's a bunch of people there, servants, attendants, um, you know, administrators, political people. And so they all hear this and then, you know, word travels, leaks happen. And so, you know, the news gets out. But then afterwards, secretly, when no one else is around, the king has them brought before him and he gets more information out of them. And he's dishonest. He says, hey, I want you to go find this child and then come back and tell me so that I too might worship him. That's a lie. And there's all kinds of people who are dishonest about their reasons for coming to church, for interest in Christianity, for, you know, why they follow Jesus, supposedly. He's disturbed by Jesus' threat to his order. He's dishonest towards his intentions towards Jesus. And he is murderous to maintain his throne. I'm going to skip ahead here. But in verse 16, because remember at the end of chapter, uh, verse 12, it says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. So verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2 says, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Whatever he could do to get rid of this threat to his own power, to his own self-will, to his own way of doing things, he did, including murdering 
indiscriminate murdering of children. And you say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not that guy. There's a, a little sketch they used to do back in the 90s. Every church seemed to have a drama ministry back then, and they were never good. Um, at best, they were people that were just kind of like to live dramatically, uh, having some exhibiting time in church. Uh, and at worst, they were, um, you know, this is the thing we do, all right? And they were just going through the motions. They weren't great. But there was one where you could, the, the basic sketch was this, is that somebody was pretending to have something in their hand. And it was a thing that they, it was kind of like the golem with the ring, you know, they wanted it, they had to have it, but it was also a hurtful thing. And then the, the, whoever was playing Jesus would come and say, I can take this away for you. And, and so there'd be like the first person and they would say, no, no, this is mine. And then, then they would trust Jesus and, and Jesus would take the thing away and then give them a new thing. And it was obviously like meant to speak of the new life in Jesus and forgiveness of sins and all these things. And then they'd have joy on their face and they'd rejoice and they'd be set free. Um, sometimes they might, instead of having a thing, they might pretend to just be in chains, you know, in, in bondage, and Jesus would set their chains free. But there was always a person. It was usually the third or the fourth person, depending on how many people you had. And they didn't want to give that thing up. They were like Gollum with Lord of the Rings, where it wasn't just like it was a hurtful thing, but they had like a, a weird, perverse love for it. And so then eventually what, what would happen in the sketches is Jesus would try to take that hurt, that, that pain, that, that sin away. They would grab their hands and they would nail wrists and that person would stand there pretending to be crucified. And the idea was that somebody wanted their sins so bad that they would murder this person who was trying to set them free. You might say, oh, I'm not King Herod. No, it's true. I, I don't think anybody listening to me has ever uh, ordered the death of hundreds, even maybe thousands of children. That's true. But all of us had a hand in the murder of Jesus. All of us had a hand because all of us have sinned. All of us in our sin and our rebellion caused the need for Jesus to go to the cross. We were the reason that Jesus came at Christmas because the reason that Jesus came at Christmas was to go to Calvary, the hill on which he was crucified. There's three responses here. There's the Magi who were responding in faith, not knowing everything, but they responded to what they did know and they brought what they had. And then there's the religious person who's just kind of apathetic. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm a good person. I, I, I know all these religious answers. I don't need to do anything. And then there's Herod, the king, who responds with dishonesty, with deceit, and with murder so that he can stay on his throne. And all of us have to ask this question, which kind of person am I? Am I the person who says, I see a good thing when I, see, I know a good thing when I see it and Jesus is the best thing and I'm going to respond to him? Or am I the person who's going to sit in apathy and I'll, cloud, I'll cover myself in religious covering, but inside I have no response? Or am I the person that will directly oppose and reject the good news of Jesus? And only you can say what you are. 
I mean, all of us can hide ourselves. That's the, the, the scary thing about the religious type of person is that you can hide yourself. You can be a scribe or a chief priest or a, you can be the best Bible person in your, in your community and yet do nothing. Christmas matters because God came to this earth and came as a person to identify with us and to save us from our sins. But we all have to respond and we all have choices. And I know people who are like the religious scribes. And sadly, I know people who are like Herod and are violently opposed to Jesus. But I also know people from all kinds of backgrounds, backgrounds in uh, the occult, backgrounds in immorality, backgrounds in you know, religious bakery, backgrounds in, in you name it. And they didn't know everything, but they said, I see that Jesus is real. And I'm going to bring what I have and I'm going to follow him. And that's the invitation to us today, this Christmas, every day, every Christmas is to respond to Jesus. And if you are a Christian and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you don't need to do it again. But all of us need to say, hey, am I still, am I still doing that with full faith? And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says that God so loved the world that any person who believes in Jesus will not die, but will have everlasting life. The free gift of God that was offered to the Magi, that was offered to the religious people, that was even offered to King Herod, and that's offered to you and to me, is the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you today to receive that gift and not just to believe, but like the Magi, to get up and get going and to live in it. Let's pray together. Well, if you've heard my words and you want to become a Christian, the, in our culture, we have this thing called the sinner's prayer and, and nowhere in the Bible is that found. The Bible just says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But I would invite you, if you do believe in your heart and you want to confess your, with your mouth, to pray with me. And you can pray what I pray, or you can pray whatever you feel like praying, but I'm going to pray. And I'd invite you to pray with me. God, I know that you are real. I believe that Jesus is fully God and that fully human and that he came at Christmas so that he could die for my sins at Easter. And I want my sins forgiven and I pray that you would forgive me and I ask that you would make me one of your followers and teach me what that means. In Jesus' name. And that prayer is just a start. There's, there's all kinds of stuff to work through, but if that's something that you want, I'd love for you to email me, adam at faithonhill.com. Reach out, be known. And if you're a, a believer in Jesus, but you say, hey, you know what? I feel like I might be that religious person that's kind of been apathetic. Would you pray with me? Because God loves to break out us out of our apathy. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you came 
and that you died and that you rose again. And it's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that fills the life of every believer. And I pray that you would fill me full and fresh with that power. I pray, God, that you would overshadow me with your Holy Spirit so that I might live in the victory that you began on Christmas Day. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, if that was you, I'd also invite you to reach out, be known, be connected. Next Sunday, we'll have Christmas Sunday. If you're in the area, I would love to have you come and be with us in person for either our Christmas Sunday morning service or our Christmas carol service that night. We'll be online next Sunday and Christmas Eve, we'll have the Christmas podcast as well, the same place you get this. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Merry Christmas.